CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to the new Georgia Today podcast from GPB News. Today is Wednesday, December 28th. I'm Peter Biello. Coming up on today's episode, improvements for the Port of Brunswick and Tybee Island have been signed into law. When lawmakers gavel in the new legislative session, there will be new leadership in both chambers. A documentary celebrates an Atlanta blues dive bar, and as we move closer to the year's end, we'll take a look back at some of our newsroom's most memorable stories that you may have missed. Today, we'll learn about the understudied subject of African-American maritime history. These stories and more are coming up on Georgia Today. A bill that will make upgrades to the Port of Brunswick's Navigation Channel has been signed into law. U.S. Senator John Ossoff's Port of Brunswick Navigation Channel Improvement Act was included with the recently passed Water Resources and Development Act reauthorization. It aims to boost capacity at the port and help reduce supply chain bottlenecks. The port is already the second busiest for roll-on, roll-off cargo nationwide, and according to the Georgia Ports Authority, the expanded channel would permit newer ships to use the port, as well as attract more investment and create jobs. The Water Resources and Development Act reauthorization will also extend the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Authority to partner with Tybee Island on beach renourishment and storm risk management for a dozen years. Democratic Senator John Ossoff had originally introduced the provisions as a standalone bill, Tybee Island has been one of the most prominent tourist destinations in the state of Georgia since the 1870s and has experienced 10 inches of sea level rise since 1935. Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock co-sponsored the original bill. When lawmakers gavel in the next legislative session, there will be new leadership in both chambers. GPB's Stephen Fowler has more. Both the House and Senate are still under Republican control, but new leadership under the Gold Dome will drive the next session's agenda. Jackson Republican Burke Jones was elected lieutenant governor and is replacing Jeff Duncan. Jones is in charge of the Senate after serving as a member beforehand. In the House, Newington Republican John Burns will take the Speaker's gavel after the passing of former Speaker David Ralston last month. Along with these new leaders, expect to see shuffling among lawmakers serving as committee chairs and floor leaders who help advance the governor's agenda. This will be the first year of a two-year legislative session period, so all bills must start from scratch. For GPB News, I'm Stephen Fowler. As we look back at some stories you may have missed in 2022, a Georgia Southern history professor says that African-American maritime history has long gone understudied. A new research project is meant to help change that. GPB's Benjamin Payne has the story. Jack Kronowitz is trudging through a muddy riverbank. The college senior is trying not to trip as he scans the ground for artifacts. Finally, he finds one. Sort of. There's a whole CD player in there. (laughs) Like, circa 2005. A bygone era, to be sure, but not quite the historical period that Kronowitz and his classmates are hoping to document here on Wilmington Island. So what we want to do today is document all the types of structures that are here. That's Kurt Norrell, a history professor at Georgia Southern University. He's giving instructions to students in his history class who've gathered here at Young's Marina. Norrell says it's one of the oldest African-American-owned marinas in Georgia, if not the entire East Coast. One of the things I've noticed about Savannah is that it's untapped in terms of this kind of history. He's referring to maritime history, specifically as it pertains to the contributions of African-Americans. This site visit is part of a new research project at Georgia Southern, focused specifically on documenting what he says is a chronically understudied thread of history. 
I'm a little bit like a kid in a candy store in that there's so much. I'm not sure what to do next because um, there are sites like this all over the area. Here at Young's Marina, students are mapping out what looked like abandoned railroad tracks along the water's edge. Many decades ago, they were used to lower boats into the water. Sarah Suggs wants to learn more about them. She's the owner of the marina and is looking forward to the written report that the students are preparing for her. It gives me an opportunity to be cautiously proud. Proud of the history behind the marina that her grandfather, Willie Young, bought in the early 1900s, but cautious about the obstacles that she and other black business owners still face more than 100 years later. If you own a black business, it takes a lot longer to do anything. I've had projects, they've taken three plus years. I've had people that don't know I'm black, and once I come out that back door, I've seen people just get in their cars and leave. I've had a lot of my neighbors, they will bring their children to go down and look at the sailboats. They would never do business with us. Still, Suggs says that things are better now than during her childhood, when her father Isaac Young owned the place. Aside from Young's Marina, the research project is studying a number of maritime sites where African-American history runs deep. Another one is a lock on the Savannah-Ogeechee Canal that was built with enslaved labor. Looking ahead, Norrell says that the overall project has raised even more questions for future exploration. So, for instance, there are oyster processing places throughout the area that really haven't been explored or mapped out, other than Pinpoint Heritage Museum, which is wonderful, and they do a great job of that. But that's one of many in the area. Um, There is the boat building tradition in Savannah that could use more study. Um, So deciding what to do next is, it's a fun problem to have. Aside from archaeology, other students are collecting oral histories, including at Young's Marina. Here again is Sarah Suggs, recounting a memory from her childhood of using the boat hoist, much to her father's chagrin. I knew how to put a boat in on the hoist, and I don't think my daddy knew what I knew. So one day, I put a boat in the water, had the boat up in the air, about to go in the water. My daddy comes, and he says, girls don't do that, and literally bumped me out of the way. So the fact that I now keep the train on the track, I know my father is in heaven looking down. That girl did it anyway. Just one of many stories historians hope to document. For GPB News, I'm Benjamin Payne on Wilmington Island. In the Atlanta neighborhood in recent years rechristened as West Midtown, among the gleaming new office and apartment buildings and retail shops, sits a cinder block tavern emblazoned with beer logos. It stands out like a man wearing dirty overalls at a black tie dinner. This is the North Side Tavern, a hub of Atlanta's blues scene that over the years has hosted the likes of the Breeze Kings, Lola Gully, Sean Costello, Donnie McCormick, and Beverly Guitar Watkins, among countless others. A new documentary celebrates the modest bar's storied past. It's called Northside Tavern, the mostly true account of the golden age of Atlanta's most exquisite blues dive. Director Hal Jacobs is with me now. So what made you want to take on Northside Tavern as a subject? Well, I literally wanted to dive into the subject. I mean, part of it was the pandemic. I really wanted to get back out and be in a place with people and live music. The other part was um, thinking back 20 years ago when we used to go there and just remembering what a great scene it was or or that we weren't even conscious of how great it was at the moment. 
and then driving past that little building and that and that new corridor and just thinking, oh my God, how, how much longer is it going to be here? And what, what's going to happen to all the stories that have happened here and been told about the place? Well, let's talk a little bit about how it came to be uh, what it is today, this, this sort of a living museum almost of, of blues in Atlanta, started in part with Ellen Webb, who took over the bar from her family in the, in the 90s and really made it a blues bar, not just a bar, but a blues bar. Can you tell us a little bit about Ellen Webb? Well, Ellen is what really uh, set the tone for the whole project. And she took it over from her father who bought it or who came into ownership in 1972. He passed away in 93. And she's the one who brought in uh, live music. She met a young musician named Mudcat, and he started bringing in blues musicians, uh, old and young. He seemed and, to be the one who, who kind of knew the scene better than she did, and she gave him free reign to start inviting people and, and making uh, some nights regular nights for musicians. That was, the, that was the interesting twist in the story, is that without Mudcat, you don't have that scene. Uh, she's, she had the place, and she brought him in and trusted him to do whatever he was going to do with it, and he really shaped it. He shaped the music culture there. Everybody gave him credit. Let's hear a little bit of Mudcat from this documentary on Northside Tavern. Here's Mudcat talking about Ellen Webb's choice to turn Northside into a blues bar. What she said she had in mind was blues club or a strip bar. Because strip bars are real easy, especially some dive like that on that road. <laughs> so um, I don't know how, who, why, but somebody told her to go see us up there at Fat Matt's Rib Shack. Fat Matt's Rib Shack is mentioned quite a bit in this film, in part because there were blues musicians playing there at the time, so there was a little cross-pollination between the two venues. So, Hal Jacobs, you had a chance to talk to Mudcat for this documentary, but unfortunately, Ellen Webb passed away a few years ago. What do you wish you had the chance to ask her about Northside Tavern? I remember Ellen back when we used to go there. She would walk through the crowd. You would never even know she was the owner, except for the reactions of people who knew her and sort of parted for her to go sit at the bar. She was the most unassuming person you you could imagine owning a little club like that. I think I would have been a little intimidated by her, frankly, to talk to her about it. I don't know what she would have said. That's a good question. Well, let me ask you about the nature of a place like this and how it works with blues music. Because you can play blues music on a street corner. You can play on a big stage. You can play at a place like this, which is, you know, some people like calling it a dive. Some people want to get away from that word. But... What does a divey place like this kind of synthesize in a musician or, or in, in a particular song? I think the magic of this place, um, besides its authenticity, is very organic feel. Things grew up. Things were leaking. There was mold. The bathrooms were never up, kept up. For a long time, one of the bathrooms didn't have a door. Exactly. <laughs> but it was a place where the audience felt as much a part of the action as the performers. You go to blues clubs these days and everybody is sitting at a table. They're listening to the performers who are way up there on the stage. You, you enter the north side, even now, you're three or four feet away from the stage. And you may stand there all night and you may 
You may better well dance while you're there, too, because people packed in right feet away from those musicians bumping into them. I mean, how many places like that are left? And uh, that was part of the magic. I mean, everybody felt like they were a piece of it. Is there a musician that you did not personally get to see at Northside that you really wish you had? I don't think I ever saw Beverly Guitar Watkins play there. And now seeing the clips of her uh, makes me realize what I miss. You have some footage of Beverly Guitar Watkins in this film. She's playing the guitar behind her head. Let's listen to a little bit of what she was doing in this film. That's Beverly Guitar Watkins, uh, one of many people who have passed away uh, since uh, performing there, having storied careers both in Atlanta and outside Atlanta. Let me ask you about what's happening with real estate on that side of town, because as we mentioned at the outset, this is a you know a little cinder block building among lots of new swanky places. In your documentary, you interview Ellen's brother who owns the place. And he says he has no plans to sell. And that phrase, I mean, I hear politicians say, I have no plans to do X, but it does leave room for them to make plans later. So what's your read on that? Is Northside Tavern long for this world? Tommy Webb makes no bones about it that he's a businessman. And he's a contractor, a full-time contractor. He says he has no plans to sell. He also says that he's got a number that he doesn't think anybody's going to match. but he, So he, he leaves it slightly open, but his family goes so deep into the Atlanta history and roots. He, he, knows, he knows how important the North Side is to Atlanta. I mean, he understands the significance of that. So it would be hard for me to imagine him uh, walking away from it. But you got to wonder... Well, Hal, thank you so much for speaking with me. I really appreciate you spending some time with us, and thanks for this documentary. Thank you. Thank you very much for letting us share this story. Hal Jacobs is the director of the new documentary on Northside Tavern. For a limited time only, this documentary is available for viewing via Vimeo On Demand, and you can find a link to that at gpb.org. And that's it for today's edition of Georgia Today. For more news from GPB, check out our Georgia Today newsletter at gpb.org newsletters. You can also visit our website, gpb.org news anytime. Your feedback is appreciated. Tell us what you think is working well about this podcast or what you'd like to hear more of. Send us your feedback by email. The address is georgiatoday at gpb.org. I'm Peter Biello. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>